Welcome to Discovery and Inspiration, a podcast from the National Humanities Center. I'm Joan Stewart, President Emerita of Hamilton College. As a trustee and former fellow of the center, I'm pleased to serve as your host for this episode. Novelist and activist Marjorie Latimer died in childbirth in 1932 and became more or less forgotten. This despite the fact that during her lifetime she'd been compared to Gertrude Stein and James Joyce. She was also known for her interracial marriage with another famous writer, poet, and novelist, Jean Toomer. Our guest today is Emily Lutensky, professor of American Studies at St. Louis University. As a fellow at the National Humanities Center this year, Emily is working on a book about Latimer and Toomer's romantic relationship and intellectual partnership, about the scandal that relationship caused in the racially charged decades of the early 20th century, and about the consequences for the ways in which their legacies have been shaped. Good afternoon, Emily, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Our listeners may be unfamiliar with Marjorie Latimer and Jean Toomer. Perhaps you could begin by telling us a little bit about them. I'll start with Marjorie Latimer because she is probably the least well-known of both of these writers. Latimer grew up in Portage, Wisconsin, um, where she was mentored in the kind of during the progressive era by um, Zona Gale, who was the um, first woman to win a Pulitzer Prize for drama and who was a regionalist writer. Latimer came into Gale's orbit as a teenager, um, went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison um, with a scholarship um, supported by her, um, and began to make her name as a regionalist writer. But she was tremendously experimental in the kind of modernist um, style of her day. She was publishing in little magazines alongside luminaries like Faulkner, um, James Joyce, Gertrude Stein. In the late 1920s and the early 1930s, she was really kind of hitting her stride. Um, She published a book of short stories and two novels during that period, and another book of short stories was released shortly after her death in 1932. I think her legacy could have been as really a feminist experimental writer, um, one who was interested in the relationships between women, um, sometimes homoerotic relationships, um, who um, was interested in issues like marriage and family and who was often critical of the kinds of shapes that those could take for women. And um, and she was also making networks with African Americans before she knew Toomer um, and was interested in black politics. And so um, when she met Toomer, she was kind of at, I think, really starting to hit her stride as a kind of force in American modernism. Um, and then after she died in childbirth, she was really quickly forgotten. Gene Toomer is far more well-known. Um, certainly his 1923 book, Cain, is probably one of the most widely taught in African-American literature, often considered the harbinger of the Harlem Renaissance. Um, Certainly Harlem Renaissance era intellectuals like Langston Hughes, Wallace Thurman kind of upheld that book as kind of a model of what black arts could do in terms of considering black folk traditions um, as a kind of valid 
subject for modernist art, thinking about um, working class African Americans in the South and proletarian communities as sources for art during a time when the purpose of black art was being widely debated. So, so this book made a mark when it came out in 1923. It only sold probably 500 copies, but it was well-reviewed and, and well-received by African-American artists. And it really became rediscovered in the late 1960s at the height of the black power movement. Um, and that shaped the way that it kind of entered into the African American literary canon. At the same time, Toomer's always been sort of hard to accommodate in that canon because very famously on the occasion of his marriage to Marjorie Latimer, um, he declared that he did not identify as black, but considered himself to be part of a mixed new race in America. And that has really continued to guide and trouble um, studies of gene tumor ever since, including this one. <laughs> um, and so uh, so that's one of the ways that I got, I got interested in him in this work. So here you have a story that is fraught with questions about sex and sexuality and race. Mm -hmm. And I guess also so with questions of maternity, Absolutely. I, I gather that Latimer wanted very much to have a baby, to be a mother. And then, of course, tragically, she died in childbirth. Yes. How long did their marriage last? Um, approximately 10 months. 10 months before <laughs> so, her death. Yes, yes. She was very much interested in having a child. Before she met Tumor, she had she had a longstanding relationship with Kenneth Fearing um, before that, who was a Jewish proletarian poet, and apparently kind of broke things off with him because he didn't want to have a child um, with her. Um, and so she was ready um, for that, and she has kind of amazing correspondence with a lot of other women writers um, in the early 1930s, um, like her friend Maridel Lesore, who was a proletarian um, writer about pregnancy and about childbirth and about her desire to become a mother, um, in addition to exchanging manuscripts. Yeah. And so that was something that, that Latimer really wanted, I think, before she even met Toomer. Yeah. And, you know, it's unclear that Toomer was as sold on the, on the idea, actually. The uh, idea of being a parent. Yes. <laughs> um, but he was very, he came around at that point in his life to really being interested in marriage. Um, which is a departure from some of his earlier critiques of the institution of marriage. You know, there are times in their relationship where they seem to be getting different things out of it and thinking about it in pretty different ways, actually. And I think the more I get involved in the project, the more I come to kind of understand the nuances in the way they were thinking about marriage and the role of reproduction and what a family could look like, um, especially a family that sometimes they and sometimes other people saw as interracial. So here we have this woman you describe as a rising star <laughs> doing experimental feminist work, helping other people, other literary lights to network, doing <laughs> all of this. And she suddenly dies. She marries Toomer, and 10 short months later, she's mm -hmm. dead. What is the reaction at that point? It would be 
I think, unfair to, um, to say that people immediately forgot about her. That definitely wasn't true. Their marriage became a scandal in the national press um, when they were honeymooning in Carmel, California. Um, and that was a, a fairly progressive community among artists, especially during the 1930s when intellectuals were getting really interested in kind of leftist politics. And so eyes are sort of on Carmel, which is this tiny village um, outside of San Francisco. But it had a presence in the national media. People could look for stories there. So the marriage had already circulated. It had been in Time magazine. And so when Latimer passed away in August of 32, the scandal didn't end. I mean, that kind of reinvigorated it in the national press. And some of the articles took on a really ugly tenor. But people didn't forget her. And certainly her friends didn't forget her and writers that she collaborated with. But her work fell out of print after that last publication that came out in the fall after she died. And with the exception of a couple people who have really been working to rehabilitate um, kind of scholarly interest in her work. There's been a kind of silence around it after her death. Emily, tell me something else. I gather that Latimer and Toomer were romantically involved, obviously, Mm -hmm. but they were also both committed to addressing racism Mm -hmm. in their lives and in their their works. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, about um, the sort of public advocacy they undertook, what they hoped to accomplish? Absolutely. With Toomer, it's quite complicated because even though his most famous proclamation about this new race in America occurred during the height of this scandal when reporters came to their cottage in Carmel and said, you know, what do you have to say for yourself? And he said, well, this is the marriage of two Americans and this is how I'm conceptualizing race. That was at times a disappointment for writers of the Harlem Renaissance and later activists and and thinkers who were proponents of a politics of black pride and black power. Um, It seemed like he was shirking um, his identity. Nonetheless, um, he did not completely disentangle himself from the politics of his day and the racial politics of his day. He, He did lend some support to things like advocacy for the Scottsboro Boys. There are so many times when Latimer and Toomer's relationship appears in a newspaper alongside a story about what's happening in Scottsboro. I think that that brings into relief in this project what some of the stakes were for thinking about interracial sexuality and the accusations of African-American male hypersexuality that were motivating Scottsboro and uh, the efforts to proclaim white female purity that were undergirding that. But Toomer was collaborating and lending support to contribute to the Scottsboro defense. Latimer had a longer relationship, a friendship with William Pickens, who was a activist with the NAACP. Probably I'm kind of encouraged to think about that as an arm of progressive politics um, by someone like Zona Gale. And um, they had a really kind of enduring friendship. Emily, what do you think is the proper place of Latimer and Toomer in the modernist American literary canon? I would maintain that Toomer's cane 
it's a beautiful, beautiful book. It is a terrifying book, a terrifying portrait of white supremacy. It's kind of amazingly beautiful in terms of its lyricism and its experimentalism, um, its embrace of black folk cultures, its portrait of the great migration, and also its complicated treatment about what race means in this country. It is kind of a one-hit wonder in some ways, um, but its reputation, I think, is earned. I would love to see people read Marjorie Latimer. I would what love should to we see read? her book. I really, I think if I were going to recommend one of them, Guardian Angel and Other Stories is her last work. People, I think during her lifetime, really saw her as kind of mastering the short story form. I would compare her to kind of a feminist Sherwood Anderson, writing kind of interlinked short stories that expose some of the seedy underbellies of Midwestern small town life. Um, Her short stories are really wonderful. Molly, you have a fascinating and very complex project. It's been wonderful to learn a little bit about it. Is there anything that you would like to add before we conclude? One thing that I would I would point out, I mean, one of the things that I think is so fascinating about this story is the way that it helps us think through our own readership and the way that it helps us reflect on the way that some writers are embraced and others are forgotten. And I think that those can be a kind of hard things to reflect on sometimes. But this, I think, is a reader of literature, as a scholar of literature and of American culture, it's taught me kind of important lessons about how to approach my sources with fresh eyes and try to see them for for what they are. And that's been a valuable lesson. Yes. So we have a story which is fraught with all sorts of things and which raises questions about our own practice as readers. Absolutely, absolutely. I think you could lionize both of these writers. Um, This is the other thing that I've discovered. And they were complicated people. You know, in many ways, their struggles with race and gender and sexuality um, were very progressive. In many ways, they weren't. And so recognizing, I think, the way that racism and anti-racism often are operating simultaneously um, in kind of these single moments uh, has been illuminating for me. You know, we could say that something like an interracial marriage really cuts to the heart of some of the ways that white supremacy has been maintained. Um, And I think that that's true. But Even Latimer and Toomer's marriage was not untouched by that. Um, I think the way that they saw her was also, or they saw each other, um, the way that Latimer saw Toomer certainly often was also influenced by some of the ugliest um, racial discourses of her day, even as she sought to kind of get beyond them. It's hard work and it's ongoing work, and that's something that's been very powerful for me um, looking at this. Thank you. Well, I wish you all the best with your project. Thank you very much, Emily, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We hope that you will join us again for the next episode of Discovery and Inspiration from the National Humanities Center.